the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. A busy weekend at Wrigley, and then how science points us back to God. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, friends, welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. I am flying solo today as my co-host, Aubrey Sampson. She is out on vacation. She'll be gone all week. I'm excited for uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, going to be joined by Steve Koble. He hasn't been on in a while, uh, but Steve will often co-host with me when Aubrey's gone. Steve will be here Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, but I am flying solo today. And a couple big item news things. I was supposed to be, you wouldn't know this from where you're listening, but I was supposed to be in the studio doing the show today. I am instead sitting in my bedroom right now on my microphone and with the amazing uh, technology that allows us to work this way. Why is that the case? After two years of avoiding it, tested positive for the COVID this morning. Didn't see it coming as I was, you know, like a lot of people say, kind of scratchy throat through the weekend. Uh, I preached on Sunday and was having some voice issues. But other than that, felt fine. Woke up today with a cough and a little bit of a fever, like, oh, maybe I should take a test. And lo and behold, took two tests, and there we are. So, uh, yep, your boys got the COVID, and I, I avoided it all of this time, but we'll be doing the shows from my house this week because the COVID has gotten me. So I'll let you know as we go. Seems to be a pretty mild case. I know it's only been the beginning of the day. A little bit of a fever and a little bit of a cough, but... Other than that, I'm just going to have to try to figure out how to get both my jobs done from my house. I know a lot of you have gone through that already. Uh, I appreciate your grace in advance for maybe a little scratchy throat, a little cough every now and then. But the beauty of technology, along with a laptop and a microphone, I could do this uh, from home. So glad to have you with us today. And before I got that uh, diagnosis, that test today, I have had a super busy last couple of days, and this is where I wanted to start because I'm going to make I'm going to make a church analogy. So stay with me here. Uh, I am. We talk about this often. I'm a huge New York Mets fan, and even more so for how good the Mets are right now. I grew up in New Jersey, so kind of those mid '80s Mets, right? Daryl Strawberry, Keith Hernandez, Doc Gooden, Gary Carter, all of them. Uh, I was just an enormous fan. Have always been an enormous New York Mets fan. Love baseball. And so now, living in the Midwest, I still watch them all the time. And I've made my son into an enormous New York Mets fan. My son, who is 14, loves baseball and is obsessed with the Mets as well. Well, the Mets, the way that the schedule works now, the Mets only come into town once a year. And that was this past Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday for a four-gamer. And I was like, ah, maybe we'll go to a game. And then... The Mets have been playing well, and we're looking at our schedule. And I said, hey, Jay, my son's name is Jackson. Come, Jay. I'm like, hey, Jay, what if we went Thursday and Saturday? So Thursday night, 
And then Saturday afternoon after my son's baseball game, we're going to race down to Wrigley and go. Can't go Friday. Got to work. He's got baseball. Sunday, obviously, with church. Can't go. Well, then, lo and behold, Friday gets rained out. And it gets moved to be a Saturday day, night, two-ticket, split, doubleheader. So I said to my son, why not both? And so uh, over the last couple days, went to the Mets-Cubs game Thursday night. Mets won. Went to... Uh, Saturday afternoon, Mets won in extra innings. Went Saturday night, Mets won again in extra innings. Didn't go Sunday, in which the Cubs came back and won that game. So the Mets took three out of four leading into the All-Star break here. Uh, <clears throat> but that was a tiring couple of days. I'm not in my 20s anymore. And so some of you are like, well, now I know how you got COVID. But uh, it was so much fun. It was primarily fun because I love going to baseball games. And it was primarily fun to just be with my son, right? Like it's a father-son kind of, for us at least, baseball is kind of a thing that we do. Uh, Really love to go to baseball games, especially when the Mets are in town. But two, here's the weird thing that happened. Because the Mets are so good, and there are a lot of Mets fans uh, around the country, and particularly in the Midwest, there were, and because the Cubs are bad, there were so many Mets fans at Wrigley Field this weekend. And we're all wearing a uniform, we're all wearing a hat or a shirt, whatever else it might be. And every time you saw another Mets fan, just give them a, let's go Mets, let's go Mets. If you were a Cubs fan and you went to New York, you'd probably see another Cubs fan go, go Cubs, go, right? Something like that. For Mets, it's just, let's go Mets, let's go Mets. And when they're one, the place just went crazy with Mets fans. And now, my son and I also discovered something else crazy. If after the game, uh, you go outside the left field exit, around the back there, so just outside the left field bleachers, that is where all the players come out for the visiting team bus. And so my son and I went both days, uh, let's see, with Thursday night and Saturday night, we went and stood by the bus with a ton of other Mets fans. He got an autograph from Max Scherzer. Uh, All the players just kind of wave. It was awesome. It was just so cool. My son had a smile ear to ear. But one of the most fun things was, just being with other Mets fans who I'd never met, obviously. You just talk and talk baseball, talk this and that. And here's what it, let me make our spiritual connection here to the church. In the span of one game, there was a sense of community with these people who were, we were rooting for the same team. We were on the same team, if you will, when it came to rooting interests in this game. We all were Mets fans. And so it was really funny. There was, on the Saturday night game, we sat behind two Mets fans. We just talked to them the whole time. High five every time the Mets did something. And at the end of the game, (coughs) excuse me, uh, gave like that man hug, right? Like uh, slap hands onto the back. On the day out by the bus, just talking to other Mets fans. And it was like we became fast friends. And it got me thinking. When we talk about unity and community within the church, we don't talk about uniformity. I'm sure I was so different than these other people, than these other Mets fans. A lot of them were in their 20s or their 60s or whatever. But we had that in common. When we talk about unity in the church, which Jesus prayed for in John 17, we don't talk about uniformity. But instead, what we're talking about is unity. In, in the midst of our uniformity, be, uh, in the midst of our differences, because 
we have a, uh, the same Lord. We are under the same umbrella. We can have all these differences, but what binds us together is stronger than what than what drives us apart. And we've been searching for that unity within the church, but it seems to be lacking, doesn't it? It seems to be that we're more focused on the things that, that divide us than the things that bring us together. And so again, using the silly illustration of this Mets game, like we were fast friends. We were chanting, we were laughing, we were hugging, we were this and that again, probably where I got COVID, and celebrating a Mets win. Isn't that what church should be for the Christian? A celebration with our brothers and sisters whom we're different than, but when it comes to our Lord and Savior, we have a unity that trumps all of our differences, and then we come together to celebrate. I got to see that this weekend as the Mets take three out of four, ton of fun, uh, but I might be um, suffering the consequences now as COVID positive. Man, this is going to be a journey. Let's. I'm kind of interested to see uh, how this goes. Well, glad that you're joining us today. Coming up next, uh, one of the more controversial topics in evangelicalism this day, these days is science, a lot of it over COVID. But does science point us to God or away from God? We're going to ask that question next year on The Common Good. AIM 1160, hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good. AIM 1160, hope for your life. My name is Brian Fromm, normally joined by Aubrey Sampson, but Aubrey is enjoying a much-deserved vacation with her family. Um, I forget where they're going. They're going to be on a lake somewhere, but we look forward to Aubrey coming back. But she will be gone all week long. I will be joined Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday by Steve Coble, uh, one of the pastors of Renewal Church of Chicago down in the city. Uh, Steve's been on the show many times with me before, so I'm excited to reconnect with Steve. He's in, no, now, I almost said a new dad, but his, his kid has to be a year old now. So we'll get a little catch up from Steve about uh, what it's like to have a, a, a baby in the house. So. Uh, if you missed the beginning of the show, you can go get our podcast wherever it is. You get your podcast, subscribe, rate, review. You can also find us online at 1160hope.com, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram at Common Good Talk. Also, if you missed any of the show at the beginning, uh, I shared with everybody that, well, it finally got me. Uh, today is the day that uh, many of you have experienced, but that I tested positive for COVID. So it has entered into our home up to this point. Only my wife has had it at any point. Neither None of my children have. Uh, but I got it today. I was starting to feel some stuff over the weekend, but it was it just felt like allergies or like I was losing my voice a little bit when I was preaching, but I felt great. Uh, I felt a little worse this morning, so I took a test, and here we go. So uh, the beauty of technology is obviously some of you are like, well, why are you doing a show? Are you in the, are you in the studio just infecting people? Nope, I'm at home. Got my laptop, and I got a microphone and a producer down at the studio, and we are able, through the magic of technology, to be able to take care of it. So uh, glad that you're able to join us today. Newsweek wrote an interesting article that I saw over the weekend uh, dealing with the issue of science. Uh, Stephen C. Mayer, he's the director of the Discovery Institute Center for Science and Culture in Seattle. It's entitled this, How Science Stopped Backing Atheists and Started Pointing Back to God, and I, I saw this, and here's why I found this interesting: because we so often talk about science and faith being antithetical from one another, 
science and God, science and Christianity, science and faith working against each other. And so a lot of times Christians, um, they push back against science. They are skeptical of science. And people who are scientists or of the science variety who believe uh, you know, the scientific thing they see, uh, they tend to be much more skeptical of Christianity or of any faith that denies science. You know, you'll hear things like, oh, you just created myths or fairy tales to explain things that we can now explain with science. And I've always struggled with that because think about it, when we got through the beginnings of COVID here, there was a lot of uh, trust the science and um, it was often christ followers who pushed back against that it good reason to push back against the science i suppose because the science kept changing particularly with covid but i've seen this pushback against science in general that i think is really dangerous and not necessary why do i say that because i remember hearing somebody say this years ago i don't know who originated this but it was this if the if the goal of science is to uncover truths is to uncover law It is to uncover how things work. And we believe that God is the author of all truth and the designer of all creation. Then theoretically, at least, science should point us to God. To put it another way, here's what I've heard before. If all truth is God's truth, then science shouldn't scare us, right? Uh, It should, we should welcome it and go, okay, we're going to learn more about God's majesty. We're going to this reminds me of last week when we saw the Webb telescope and the pictures from space, and we said, that just uh, grows our, our vision and our grandeur of God. Like it didn't, There was nothing in those telescope pictures that made us go, uh-oh, did this just disprove God? No, science just screamed from the heavens, how majestic is our Lord, how majestic is our Heavenly Father. And that's what Newsweek, of all places, is getting at here. Is science starting to stop pointing towards atheists and start pointing towards God? Let me read just some of what he wrote. He said, headlines lately have not been encouraging for the faithful. A Gallup poll shows that the percentage of Americans who believe in God has fallen to 81%, a drop of 10% over the last decade and an all-time low. This accelerating trend is especially pronounced among young adults. According to Pew Research, 18 to 29-year-olds are disproportionately represented among so-called nuns, atheists, agnostics, and the religiously unaffiliated. Uh, pastors and other religious leaders have attributed this to many different things. But this author says, a, we found another answer in our national survey uh, to probe the underlying reasons for this growing unbelief, a misunderstanding of science. Perhaps surprisingly, he writes, a survey discovered that the perceived message of science has played a leading role in the loss of faith. We found that scientific theories about the unguided evolution of life have, in particular, led more people to reject belief in God than worries about suffering, disease, or death. It also showed that 65% of self-described atheists and 43% of agnostics believe, quote, the findings of science generally make the existence of God less probable. See, there it is. Why is that the case? He begins to answer, it's easy to see why this perception has proliferated. In recent years, many scientists have become a spokesman for atheism. Richard Dawkins, Lawrence Krauss, Bill Nye, Michael Shermer, and the late Stephen Hawking, to name a few. Uh, 
Dawkins famously wrote, the universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect it. At bottom, there is no purpose, no design, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. The article continues, yet between message and reality, there's a major disconnect. Over the last century, important scientific discoveries have dramatically challenged science-based atheism, and three in particular have decidedly pointed us to God. Here, let me give you those three. First, scientists have discovered that the physical universe had a beginning. This finding, supported by observational astronomy and theoretical physics, contradicts expectations of scientific atheists who long portrayed the universe as eternal and self-existent and therefore in no need of a creator. So that's the first one. Secondly, discoveries from physics about the structure of the universe reinforce this theistic conclusion. Uh, Since the 1960s, physicists have determined that the fundamental physical laws and parameters of our universe are finely tuned against all odds to make our universe capable of hosting life. Even slight alterations of many independent factors uh, would have rendered life impossible. And so the question becomes, how do we get that? It says, not surprisingly, many physicists have concluded that this improbable fine-tuning points to a cosmic fine-tuner. Cambridge astrophysicist Sir Fred Doyle said, a common-sense interpretation of the data suggests that a super-intellect has monkeyed with physics. Third, Molecular biology has revealed the presence in living cells of an exquisite world of informational nanotechnology. This includes DNA, RNA. Even Richard Dawkins acknowledged that, quote, the machine code of genes is uncannily computer-like. And Stephen Meyer says all of this underscores a growing disparity between public perceptions of the message of science and what scientific evidence actually shows. Far from pointing to blind, pitiless indifference, the great discoveries of the last century point to the exquisite design of life and the universe and arguably to an intelligent creator behind it all. That is at Newsweek. Now, we're not talking that that's Christianity today, uh, but we're talking um, that's 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 Newsweek. Friends out there, I would suggest don't get scared by science don't get scared by science but instead um let's remember all truth is god's truth and let's allow that to point us to god and to to proclaim his majesty whether it's the the heavens or the the molecular makeup of a human being allow that to grow your awe and your worship of god well coming up next why more pastors suddenly want to quit? I'm going to talk about that article next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. My name is Brian Fromm. Home, uh, back here alone today, Aubrey Sampson, my normal co-host, is on vacation, and uh, so I will be joined the rest of the week, or at least Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, by Steve Koble. Steve has been on our show many times, helping me co-host, but today I'm by myself and supposed to be in studio, as we normally are, but nope, COVID for me today, this morning. So trying to figure out and navigate that, just kind of, I took two tests today, and then both of them came back with those double lines, and yeah, walk it down, showed my wife, and going, okay, our week just got a lot more complicated, so... Living in my basement and doing the show through the magic of technology, uh, able to do the show 
from my basement or from my house. So that's what we'll be doing all week. And hopefully this is pretty uh, simple, pretty mild. It is so far, but we shall see. I appreciate you putting up with a little bit of the raspy voice, but hopefully it stays pretty mild. So uh, as you know, Aubrey and I are both pastors. So those are our primary jobs. Aubrey started along with her husband, Kevin, they started Renewal Church in West Chicago. And I started um, Four Corners Community Church in Darien, Illinois, just south of Downers Grove. And so a lot of times on this show, we will talk about the things uh, that we as pastors uh, are dealing with, okay, and uh, what those things might be. And um, one of the major issues right now that I think we have to get our arms around is the increasing number of pastors who are looking to quit. Uh, Christian Post, they just wrote this, why more pastors suddenly want to quit the inside story of pastor burnout. So they answer the question in their title, burnout. And I think this has been accelerated through COVID. So let me give you some of my thoughts, and then I'm going to give you their answers. Let me give you some of my thoughts as to why more and more pastors uh, are considering quitting or have quit or who in survey say that they want uh, to quit their job. I would say this. Uh, one is we have to put up with, and like a lot of jobs, we had to put up with a lot of things. A lot of things changed over COVID. People left your church. You're trying to make decisions about masks. You're trying to make decisions about uh, do we meet or don't we meet? What does ministry look like? And all of those were very unique pressures that we weren't trained for, right? I didn't uh, get my, when I got my master's, I got my master's at Wheaton College in uh, biblical studies. I didn't get it. There was no classes in there about how to navigate a pandemic. And so I think that wore a lot of pastors out. And then two, I think the pandemic shrunk all of our churches. Like, (laughs) I think every pastor I know, their church has shrunk. Some have shrunk more, some of them didn't make it. Uh, But big churches, small churches, people have stopped going to church. And not only is that hugely discouraging in general, uh, but what I would also say is uh, it took away a lot of the things that gave us our, as pastors, it's going to sound terrible, uh, filled up our tank, right? More people in the pews. It's always fun to preach into a a crowded room, right? And pastors were getting who who normally got their uh, self-esteem from the numbers or from the budget or for the programming, now those things were taken away and it was just all loss. And you go, well, what do I, what do I, how do I know whether I'm succeeding or failing? How do I even gauge this anymore? And that became really difficult and continues to be really difficult. We've always lived in a world where if your church shrinks, you're doing something wrong, whether that's right or not. And now everyone's church is shrinking and everyone's going, well, am I doing something wrong? Is that on me? And I think that all leads to burnout people, less people going to church in general. You add the politics on top of it. Um, Politics, don't get me wrong, have always been a part of the church. But now there's such anger. I don't know how else to describe it. Um, except just anger and um, not knowing how to navigate that. Like, how do I navigate when two parishioners are getting ye- or yelling at each other on social media over politics? How do I navigate when somebody wants to come talk to me at church and tell me that I'm 
wrong for not voting for this person or I should be talking about this thing or I should be whatever on both sides. And I believe that now through the rise of social media and everything else, pastors feel this pressure to be able to speak on everything. I don't have opinions on everything. Uh, we've joked before that like when we talk about immigration, that's why we bring up people on like Matt Sorens. Like, I don't know. I don't know the right answers, nor do I think that I should. But people get mad. And so I think those are uh, a bunch of the different reasons as to uh, what's hurting us and why so many pastors are looking to quit. So what's the answer? And that's where I want to get us because I also think the answer, this is also the answer for all of you out there who are feeling discouraged. Christian Post uh, reporter Leonardo Blair looked at the data and said this, one of the things that will protect the pastor uh, is the pastor's own spiritual practices. <laughs> Let's be really blunt about it. Is said pastor connected to the vine? Is said pastor uh, have a growing devotion and relationship and awe of Jesus? Or is it all about what people say about me or the feedback I get at my church? Uh, is the pastor in the word? Is the pastor praying? Are they in worship themselves? Are they whatever? Keep, keep going. Is there generosity of spirit? End of finances. To put it bluntly, is the pastor connected to the vine? And if not, burnout will occur, discouragement will occur, quitting will occur. And then something kind of along those lines, uh, Barna, they quote in here, suggested that pastors who prioritize self-care are less likely to consider quitting. Are you in counseling? Do you exercise? Do you Sabbath? Do you turn off your phone? Uh, whatever else it might be, whatever self-care looks like for you, uh, pastor, is that part of your normal uh, your normal rhythm? Because if it's not, then you will burn out. We uh, said half-jokingly on the show before, if you don't learn to Sabbath, Sabbath will come get you, right? Like it's good, you're rest, you'll either rest or you'll be forced to rest. And so how are we going to do that? It's interesting. If you're a part of a church out there, maybe ask your pastor, are you discouraged? Uh, how are you keeping encouraged? What does self-care look like? Do you feel burned out? Have you thought about quitting? Who are the people in your church who will ask the pastor that question and allow that pastor to be honest about it? I will just be blunt. I have yet to meet a pastor who hasn't almost quit at some point during COVID. It's been that discouraging. Maybe this is our chance to build back uh, a better system of how we judge churches, how we judge pastors, what fruitfulness looks like, uh, how pastors take care of themselves, whatever else it might be. So interesting article, why more pastors suddenly want to quit their church. Well, coming up next, uh, part of what I want to do being in by myself today is to play a couple different sermons, a clips of different sermons. The first one we're going to do next is just a clip from a pastor by the name of Paul Washer. Uh, entitled Christ is All. We're going to do that next year on The Common Good. AIM 1160, hope for your life. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Common Good. AIM 1160, hope for your life. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you with us today on this Monday afternoon. Aubrey Sampson, my normal co-host, uh, she is on vacation this week, enjoying some time with her family, her husband and three sons. 
and so I will be alone today. And then uh, Steve Coble, one of the pastors at Renewal Church of Chicago, will be joining me again from Tuesday through Thursday. Looking forward to having Steve with us. Uh, I'm also doing the show from my house today, as I shared earlier in the show, that I tested positive for COVID today. So uh, not fun, but a feeling pretty good, pretty okay. Hopefully that keeps up. And uh, you can keep tuning in each day and find out uh, the travails of my COVID and see uh, how things go. Well, one of the things that I like to do, especially when hosting the show alone, is to let you hear from different preachers, different um, people and and clips from sermons that I find inspiring or helpful or encouraging. So we're going to do that a couple times today. Uh, And this first one... Uh, is going to be a clip from a, a man by the name of Paul Washer. Uh, he's looking at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 17. And I, I really appreciate uh, what Paul Washer has to say here. This is about two and a half minutes, so let's take a listen to that. Verse 13, But evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Paul said this 2,000 years ago. It's, it's always the case. It's always the case. We have been living in the last days since the, the coming, death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ. That's when the last days began. This is the age of the Messiah. This is the time of trouble. This is a difficulty. This life is not supposed to be easy. Because we don't live it for us. We don't live it for a home. We don't live it for new cars. We don't live it for all these kinds of things. We live it for Him. Just for Him. That's it. You see, in the mind of God, Christ is not just something. He's not even just your Savior. The Son is everything. Everything was made for Him, by Him, for Him, for Him. Everything God has ever done, He's done for His Son. And the only reason you're going to heaven is because He loves His Son. Even in the old rabbinic literature, before the coming of Christ, the old commentaries and such, they would constantly say things like, Everything is for Messiah. The whole world is for Messiah. The universe for Messiah. Everything for Christ. Everything is for Christ. Everything. And whether you're a minister or a carpenter or a businessman, it is the same. Because I have met carpenters and businessmen and others that were far more godly than I could ever hope to be. This is not about preachers. This is about everyone who calls on the name of Christ. Everyone. So Paul Washer says he's talking about the difficulties that we're going to have in life, right? Like life is hard. And part of that reason, he says that we are, uh, I appreciate him saying that since Jesus lived, died, rose again, we've been in the end times, right? That we talk about and that there's uh, difficulty there is per, you know, persecution, resistance, whatever else it might be. But then he reminds us that Christ is our all. Then Paul Washer reminds us that uh, we do not live for ourselves. And that's such a foreign concept that we do not live for ourselves, but that everything about us 
we do all uh, everything that we do and say is for the glory of God. Uh, it is because we are Christ followers. He even said that that God saved us because He loves His Son, which is an interesting thought to have. So, what does it mean for you that Christ is all? Do you believe that to be true? Uh, and what does it mean? Because this is a, a very important... Um, how, how to put this? This is a very important concept that we must get as Christians. That because of the life, death, and resurrection, because of the saving work of Jesus Christ in my life, my life is, is not my own. But it is daily offering my body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Uh, that whether everything I work, wherever I work, um, live, wherever I play, whatever I do, I do it all for the glory of God. That, that the primary title that I have in my life is Christian. It's not the only title I have, but it is the primary title. It is the title that matters. It is the one that matters the most. And it was the one that determines everything else about my life and your life. So here, let me ask the question to you. He used a simple three-word phrase, Christ is all. Can you say that? Can you say with good conscience, Christ is all? Can you even say Christ is primary? Because all is difficult, right? But but can you even say Christ is primary? Christ is at the top. That It's his lordship that determines um, the direction of my life. And the decisions that I make in the trajectory that my life goes and the lens through which I make decisions. Does Jesus hold that sort of, um, is he on your throne? Is that what that looks like? Because when it is not, then we just start playing, right? We start, yeah, yeah, no, I, I'm a Christ father. Well, kind of, you're more likely just kind of want to go to heaven. But he says here in Second Timothy 3, Christ is our all. And therefore, when life comes crashing down around us, we can hold on because we know that he has already defeated sin, he has already defeated death, and that there is coming a day when none of those things will be our reality. Like, I don't have it very badly right now, but like I told you earlier, I'm, I'm dealing with COVID right now. Do you know what I'm not going to have to deal with in, in uh, eternity? COVID. Not going to be there. Cancer not going to be there. Sin, not going to be a part of it. Death, not going to be a part of it. And that is all through the life, death, and resurrection, the victory of Jesus Christ. We can proclaim that there's coming a day. And then we live our lives now for his glory, pointing people to him, following after what he has said, uh, told us to do, making him Lord of our lives, allowing no other idols to take the throne. Christ is all. Can you say that today, my friends? Because it makes all the difference in the world. Well, coming up next, what does it mean to lean on God? And then an encouraging word about prayer. You're listening to The Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to AM 
What does it mean to lean on God? And then, an encouraging word on prayer. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey friends, welcome back to The Common Good here on AIM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you with us today on this Monday afternoon. Sitting in solo today as my regular co-host Aubrey Sampson is on vacation enjoying some time away with her family. I am also, if my voice sounds a little off, got the dreaded COVID positive test today. So uh, I am dealing with COVID. Today is day one. I'm dealing with COVID and uh, hopefully uh, I will be able to be with you all week, but now doing the show from my home through the beauty of technology. And so I hope that you are doing well. And uh, say a little prayer for me. Hopefully this week is a, is a very mild, as they say, and we shall see where it goes. Well, uh, I saw a crazy story. Maybe we'll dive into this when Aubrey comes back. About somebody who came to Christ recently because they were a server. They were like a waiter or a waitress. And a group of Christians left her such an enormous tip that, it then sparked discussion and emotion and eventually them being able to share their faith and this person coming to Christ. And it got me thinking, sometimes we over, we just over uh, think these things. And it reminded me that we as Christians, A, need to be good tippers, but B, it's the little things that matter. And that eventually will point people to Jesus. Like, don't be a cheap Christian. Don't be one of those people who like, Hey, instead of a tip, I'm going to give you a tract. People are the worst. But give, be generous. And then the the Bible talks about how our generosity points people to Jesus. That story just got me thinking. If I'm generous with the server, the waiter or waitress at a restaurant I go to, what will that teach them? What will that tell them? What will that say to them about the Jesus that I claim to follow? I think that's powerful. I really appreciated that story. I think we'll bring that one back when Aubrey comes back. So I think there's a conversation there about, yes, we need the right words to say when it comes to evangelism. We need the right words to say. Um, but sometimes I think we overthink it. Live such good lives among the pagans, Peter says in First Peter, uh, that they will glorify, they will see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he returns. How's your life look? Are you living that out? Are we people, men and women, uh, who are living in such a way that I'm never one of these believers who says, right, share Jesus and win and, and you know, don't, sh- you know, at, use words if you must. No, you always have to use words. But does your life speak to all those words you would share? Is your life consistent with that? I wonder. That got me thinking. I thought that was a really impressive story. Um, Yeah. Anyway, tipping as evangelism. We'll bring that back another time. But let me make a complete right turn here. Uh, You remember the story of Leah Thomas. Leah Thomas uh, was the transgender swimmer uh, at University of Pennsylvania uh, who won national championships and stuff and created quite the firestorm because... Um, you know, over testosterone, over uh, is Leah Thomas a male or female? Is it fair to be competing and just annihilated uh, the women's division, uh, not only in the Ivy Leagues, but national championships? So 
Uh, this struck my eye the other day because the season's been over for a while. But I read this at the headlines here. Former college athletes take stand against Leah Thomas's nomination for Woman of the Year. A mother of an Ivy League swimmer said Monday she's outraged over the recent move by the University of Pennsylvania to nominate transgender athlete Leah Thomas for the NCAA Woman of the Year Award. Uh, Kim Jones came on calling the nomination humiliating and devastating and accusing the school of sending a message that women don't matter. The message is that they're not even worthy of dignity and comfort in their locker rooms. And this nomination is just the embodiment of that message. It's really frustrating to understand where the current NCAA and Ivy League and especially Penn stance is on the value of women in modern society. The transgender athlete was nominated for the NCAA award, which recognizes female student athletes, according to an announcement for the award. Uh, These people said that college athletes spend countless hours training, which is, quote, dismissed when biological males can compete with unfair physical advantages. Um, So anyway, I wonder what you think about that. This was a hot button topic that we discussed here on the show. The should Leah Thomas even be able to swim a transgender athlete whose levels of testosterone were high, just physicality um, as, a, as a big biological male, which is dominant over these these female swimmers. But regardless of what you think about this, uh, whether uh, Leah Thomas should have been able to swim or not. What is going on that the University of Pennsylvania feels like they're stirring the pot here? They're poking the bear. They're whatever. It's one thing to say uh, we are going to let Leah Thomas swim. It's another thing to single out Leah Thomas for an award called the NCA Woman of the Year Award. <coughs> that feels um, next level to me. That feels like. Uh, we're trying to make a point with this award. And that's why this mom was so angry. She has a daughter who's swimming and, you know, daughter lost to Leah Thomas. Daughter's kind of been pushed aside. And now, you know, this award's coming out. And what do you, it got me thinking. I do think when it comes to things like gender and sexuality and uh, all of these hot button topics within our society, uh, there's going to increasingly not be an option of we're going to agree to disagree. Because I think that something like this says we are going to celebrate. I think we live in a culture that increasingly is going to celebrate things like transgenderism uh, and, and other things. And we see that already, right? Like this is no breaking news, but this one felt weird to me because the outrage has kind of gone down. The story has kind of gone away. And now the uh, University of Pennsylvania could have chosen anybody for this award. And they said, this is the person we're going to choose because we want to make a point. And I wonder what that says for where our, con- where our society is heading. Uh, we see it over abortion. We see it over uh, sexuality, things like gender. Uh, that we're, those of us who who follow Jesus in any kind of orthodox way uh, are going to kind of continually, I think, feel out of step with what we see going on all around us. What we see going on all around us is a celebration of things that I do not think we can celebrate uh, as Christ followers. And some of you might disagree with me, but I, I think I'm right about that. 
but and it, it's one thing to tolerate. It's an, it's one thing to agree to disagree. It's another thing to celebrate. I wonder what we think about that because that's where we seem to be heading: a celebration. The NCA Woman of the Year Award and the University of Pennsylvania nominates transgender athlete Leah Thomas from their school. Uh, seems like a uh, a point being made. And uh, I think we're going to see more of this. And we as a church have to say, what's our options here? What do we do? What is, um, yeah, what do we do in a culture that is increasingly moving away from the things that we say we believe? So uh, that story in the news, and uh, I think we'll see more like it. Well, coming up next, I uh, want to play another sermon from a pastor by the name of Jim Cimbala from Brooklyn Tabernacle uh, Choir asking, what does it mean to lean on God? You can do that next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm in my COVID cave. That's right, I tested positive for COVID this morning. Uh, along, uh, and I'm doing the show by myself. So just me and my COVID hosting the show as my normal co-host, Aubrey Sampson, is uh, on vacation with her family. Happy for Aubrey, happy for her family to be able to spend some time together. Uh, she will be back next week. Uh, but I'm alone, and now I am in the basement because I got COVID. Those of you who've had COVID out there, I know some of you have had it really bad. A lot of you pretty minor. Mine is starting off pretty minor. Hopefully it stays that way. Uh, but you can probably hear it in my voice. A little more scratchy, a little more uh, nasally, a little more stuffed, stuffy. So uh, we shall see how this week progresses. If you've missed any of our shows today or last week, let me encourage you to go get the podcast. Uh, just subscribe, rate, review. You can also find us online at 1160hope.com, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at common good talk. And again, we are really glad to have you with us today. All right. I said that I wanted to play you some sermons today, just so you're not listening to me, but I think there are just some great preachers out there uh, that I would love for you to hear from. And if you've ever been to New York city, I grew up out that way, not in New York city, obviously I grew up in New Jersey. Uh, but if you've ever gone to New York city uh, or, you know, of the churches in New York city, you know, uh, that one of the most well-known churches in the borough of Brooklyn is the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. And the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir is most known for the Brooklyn, I'm sorry, the Brooklyn Tabernacle is most known for the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. See, they're so known for that that I put the word choir in there immediately. But that's how they're most known. But their pastor is really well-known too. He's a pastor by the name of Jim Cimbala. And uh, Jim Cimbala, you, you might know him from books like Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, which is a a fabulous book. Um, Jim Cimbala uh, is also a great preacher. And so just the other day, I saw this when I was perusing Twitter. Jim Cimbala talking about what's going on in the church and what does it mean to, where, where, what's the answer right now? So let's listen to what Jim Cimbala had to say. That can happen, might be happening to some of you. You're on the wrong track right now because a parent is gone, died. A friend moved away. You move to a different city, and now it's not that same home church, and you take away that prop, and it's as if God died. It's as if Jesus disappeared. 
Now your life has changed. You're on the wrong road. Why? Because the prop was taken away. Think of what's happened here in this COVID. Come on, let's be real. As they say on Fulton Street, let's do real talk. How about all the people now, as I talk to pastors around the country, oh, Pastor Jim, a lot of the people during that COVID, they stopped coming to church. They didn't lean anymore on their fellowship with other Christians. They couldn't be in this ministry or that ministry. And now that the COVID is over, guess what? They can't be found and they ain't coming back. They go to Trader Joe's. I have it in for Trader Joe's. I always bring that up. They shop at Trader Joe's. They go to clubbing. They hang out in the office. They're fine. They're fine. Oh, church on Sunday? No, no, no. I have to be careful. It's COVID. It's a new strain from uh, Poland that's just come now and it's going to mess up everybody. That's not true? Of course that's true. That's totally true. We've seen it here in this church. It's everywhere. Take away the props, whatever that prop might be. You see, on none of these things can you lean. See this? This can't hold my weight. And even this keyboard, it's heavier. Yeah, but it moves. See, everything that you lean on can move or disappear. But then you got to be able to lean on the Lord. He ain't moving. How many say amen? He's just, just leaning on the Lord. So Symbol is asking, what do you do when times are hard, right? Some of you are facing extreme difficulties right now, he says. So what do you do? And then I, as a pastor, can I just say, I appreciate his tangent there about the church, he, about Trader Joe's. As Jim Symbol says, uh, people have, they're, they're willing to go to Trader Joe's or to the club or to the game or hang out, but, oh, got to be careful about church. So weird dynamic there that I think a lot of us pastors are trying to figure out. Uh, but ultimately, he wants to ask this question. What are you, what, what is your foundation? What are you leaning on? What are you leaning on to hold you up when things are crashing down around us? When the relationship breaks down? When the, um, the doctor comes in with the diagnosis when a loved one dies, when the bank account is shrinking, what do you do in those moments? Where do you go? What do you lean on? And he says, oftentimes, you know, he, he jokingly was like leaning against the pulpit in his church or the keyboard or whatever, but we do, we, we lean against things that we think we can control often, right? We, we, we lean on a spouse, which is great until that spouse is the one with the health issue or heaven forbid that spouse leaves you. Uh, We lean on our bank accounts until the money dries up. We lean on our job until there is downsizing. We lean on our health until the doctor gives us bad news. But Jesus himself told a parable about building your house on the rock, building your house, not on sand, but on the rock. And he says, when you build it on sand, When the storms come, the hard times of life, it will come crashing down. But when you build it on the rock, then even when the storms come, it will hold. And so what are some of those sand things that we build our lives upon, right? I already mentioned them. Money, health, possessions, comfort, pleasure, job title, whatever else it might be. 
but the rock is Jesus. Because Jesus says, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. I will never leave you or forsake you. God says he is near to the brokenhearted. So that even when things are crumbling, we can hold on to Jesus. And know that he makes major promises to be with us always. So let's just ask the question for you that Jim Simbola asked. What do you lean on? Where do you lean? What holds you up when life comes crashing down? Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Jesus says, build your house upon the rock. And Jesus is the rock. Jesus says, um, you know, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing. God. All of these things point us to when we need to lean on something. We can lean on friends. We can lean on community. All of these are good, but ultimately our hope is placed on Jesus. We lean our lives on Christ. And when life comes crumbling down around us, it doesn't mean it all comes crashing down. Are you taking on waves today? Do things feel shaky? Let me encourage you to go to Christ and not away from him. Let me encourage you to go to him in prayer and not away from him. Let me encourage you, lean on Jesus. And there you will find stability. And there you will find hope. Well, coming up next, there was a big sporting event this weekend. But I want to play to you something that happened in the aftermath of that sporting event. Going to do that next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us today. Uh, I am flying solo today as my co-host, Aubrey Sampson, uh, is on vacation with her family. So happy for them. Uh, They are off on vacation. You might hear it in my voice, too, that I am uh, playing a little hurt today. I tested positive for COVID this morning, so a little bit of unknown there, but feeling pretty good at the moment. Voice is a little weak, which is a little tough for radio. But uh, grateful to be able to do a show from my house. So that's what's going on today. Uh, If you've missed any of today's show or anything from last week, you can go get our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Just subscribe, rate, review. You can also find us online at 1160hope.com, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Common Good Talk. Well, this past weekend, uh, lots of major things in sports. I talked to you about one of them earlier in the show as I went to three of the four Mets-Cubs games this morning, because I'm a big Mets fan. Mets won three out of four, and they actually won the three that me and my son went to. So that was a ton of fun. Love going to baseball. How fun is that? Um, But there's other things going on, and one of those was the British Open, or if you're a golfer, you know they call it now the Open Championship, taking place at Royal St. Andrews, which is one of the most famous courses in all of the world. Uh, And uh, many people uh, wanted to see Rory McIlroy win. He is a a beloved. He's a beloved uh, golfer, especially now. If you're not familiar with it, all that's going on the Live Tour and some golfers leaving the PGA Tour. It's like Rory McIlroy. Um, he's one of the ones people hold up as like admirable and one of the people to look to. And uh, Roy McIlroy had a great week, and he was winning. He was winning pretty handily, uh, but then he got caught and passed on Sunday 
by Cam Smith. And Cam Smith was shot an unbelievable round, shot a 64. Roy McIlroy actually played really well on Sunday. He hit all 18 greens in regulation. He just couldn't putt. And Roy McIlroy ended up coming in third because the other Cam, Cam Young, also ended up passing him. But people were talking like, oh, my gosh, Roy McIlroy, he had such a great major season but didn't win any of them. He came in second, uh, I believe, at the Masters, third here at the Open, fifth and some other. Uh, just He was right there, and he hasn't won a major in eight years. And so really people were cheering for him. And so uh, there was a lot of thought, man, he's going to be devastated. What's he going to be feeling? And uh, I want to play the interview. He didn't have to do this interview. They're not obligated to do these interviews, but he went and talked to the CBS reporter. And I want you to hear what Rory McIlroy said after a real great disappointment. Here with Rory McIlroy. Rory, eight years since your last major, certainly not the finish you had envisioned here at St. Andrews. Can you share what your thoughts were coming off the 18th green moments ago? Um, yeah, just disappointment, I guess. You know, I, I had a, a great opportunity just today to, to add to that major tally, and I didn't quite get it done. Um, didn't feel like I did many things wrong, but um, the putter just sort of uh, went cold on me there pretty much throughout the round. Um, I did what I wanted to do. I played a really controlled round of golf. I you know, I, I didn't take advantage of some of the, the holes that I had been taking advantage of um, this week. And, uh, you know, when, when both Camerons, but especially Cam Smith, went on that run in the back nine, um, you know, I really had to try to dig deep to make some birdies, and I and I just couldn't. So, um, you know, I've I got beaten by the the better player this week to go out and shoot 64 to, to win an Open Championship at St Andrews is is a hell of a showing. And um, you know, hats off to Cam. He's he's had an unbelievable week. Here's why I wanted to play that. What stood out to me was a couple things. Roy McIlroy didn't make excuses. He didn't say, oh, you know, the greens were bad, or which they weren't. Or, uh, oh, you know, if it wasn't for this. or He didn't make excuses. And he also held up the winner. He said, you know what? I got beat by the better golfer today. I got beat by the better golfer today. And it was true. Cam Smith shot one of the greatest final rounds in the Open here, history. Like, it was unbelievable. And so Roy McIlroy said, I got beat by the better golfer. And then the third thing that Roy McIlroy said was this. Uh, he said, I'll be back. I could see things are trending in the right direction. And he had grace about it. He had perspective. And it got me thinking how different that is. Why did I like that so much? It was such a breath of fresh air because it's really different than how we are used to our athletes, our politicians, our entertainers, our people in our lives talking. We live in a culture where people make excuses we live in a culture where people blame. We live in a culture where people say uh, they don't give credit where credit's due, but they say, oh, I got robbed. Uh, whether it's uh, an event, an election, uh, a, an award, whatever else it might be, there's a lot of, I got robbed. And Rory McIlroy here said, you know what? Got beat by the best. There was a graciousness. That's one reason I think a lot of people like golf. There's often a graciousness to it. And I appreciated that graciousness here in Roy McElroy saying, I got beat by a better person, but I'll be back. I'll be back. I will hope he wins the masters. That's the next one, which unfortunately for him, is not until April, but I hope he wins the masters because I think he endeared a lot of fans here. And 
This is what I want to encourage you here, people, as we think about this. Are you an excuse maker? Are you somebody who lifts other people up? I would, um, uh, it makes me think of, uh, what's the book? Dave Ferguson and John Ferguson uh, writing Hero Maker. Are you about lifting other people up, giving them stages, encouraging other people? Or is it always about you? Rory McIlroy could have made this about himself, but he didn't. Uh, and that's impressive. I don't know why I find that so. I, I really uh, found that impressive. And so uh, what can we learn from a golfer there? Be gracious. Be somebody in a culture that it lacks grace and humility. Be somebody who gives grace and humility. Are you a gracious person? Do you show humility? Secondly, lift other people up, even if it's at your own expense. Roy McIlroy could have said, oh, Cam Smith can never beat me on my best day. Instead, he said, Cam Smith, I lost to the better golfer today. He was just a better golfer than me today. I appreciated that. And third, have a long-term optimistic uh, view. Roy McIlroy said, I'll get there. I'm going to keep working. It's coming together. I'm going to get there. Uh, if you don't get your way right away, do you give up? Are you somebody, if, if things go sideways on you, are you somebody who just throws in the towel? Or are we people who are going to say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my nose to the grindstone. I'm going to continue working. I'm going to continue getting better. I'm going to continue working whatever, towards whatever it is with an optimistic view that says, I'll get there. I'm going to succeed. I appreciated that. I, I was rooting hard for Rory McIlroy yesterday. Uh, thought he was going to win, uh, and then and then he just didn't. It wasn't in the cards for his day, even though he played pretty well. All congratulations to Cameron Smith. Well, coming up next, we're going to end the show this way. One of my favorite preachers, Matt Chandler, gave a sermon on prayer. Going to listen to that next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. My name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us today. Uh, Aubrey Sampson, my co-host, is not with us today. She's on vacation. Lucky for her. Really happy for Aubrey and her husband, Kevin. Uh, and their three sons, as they got are away right now on vacation, enjoying uh, some rest and relaxation. I will be joined tomorrow, Wednesday and Thursday, by Steve Coble, one of the pastors of Renewal Church of Chicago, and uh, very excited to reconnect with Steve. See how fatherhood is doing, uh, as he is relatively new to the game. If you've missed any of today's show, let me encourage you to go get our podcast wherever it is. Get your podcast just. Subscribe, rate, and review. That really does help us out a bunch. You can also find us online at 1160hope.com, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Common Good Talk. We hope that you have a great night tonight. I'm glad that you spent some time with me today. I'll be sleeping as I've been sharing throughout the show. Tested positive for COVID today, but still glad to be able to do the show. And uh, yeah, here's how I want to end today. I want to end with one of my favorite preachers. His name is Matt Chandler. Matt Chandler, he's pastor of Village Church outside of Dallas, Texas. Uh, you know, I think we all have favorite preachers that we listen to. We listen to online. Matt Chandler's always been one of those for me. And uh, Matt Chandler, I found this. There's somebody put this to YouTube, so there's going to be songs underneath it, you know, like a little bit of that. But Matt Chandler, somebody cut up a sermon he did on prayer. And I, I found this to be so helpful because I think a lot of us struggle with prayer. Can we just be honest about that? 
we struggle to pray. And I think for a bunch of different reasons, sometimes it can feel weird, but other times it's just, do we believe that it works? How does it work? And we have those kinds of questions. And so I want to play this, stay with it. Okay. It's like three minutes long. And then I want to come back and end our show by talking about, this is Matt Chandler talking about prayer. When it comes to prayer, um, the Bible is very, very serious about it. In fact, you're going to see over and over and over again in the New Testament, this theme began to be developed. And, and in the New Testament, the scriptures also acknowledge that prayer is difficult. Paul says, labor with me in prayer. Isn't that an interesting choice of words? Work with me at prayer. It, it's almost as if the apostles acknowledging, hey, it doesn't come easy for most of us. So labor with me, work with me, sweat with me in prayer. The Bible says to pray without ceasing, okay? So that that amen that we say is a so be it, not an ending to our dialogue with God Almighty. Rejoice in hope, persevere in tribulation be devoted to prayer ephesians 6 18 pray at all times in the spirit with all perseverance with all devotion devote yourself to prayer be watchful in prayer continue in be steadfast in prayer Isaiah 62, 6-7 says this, On your walls, O Jerusalem, I, God Almighty, have appointed watchmen. All day and all night they will never keep silent. You who remind the Lord, take no rest for yourselves and give me no rest until He, God the Father, establishes and makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. So God loves being bothered by his children so much that he literally appoints people to bother him. Did, did you hear it in the text? Give me no rest. Don't stop asking me. Don't stop petitioning me. Don't stop begging me until Jerusalem is established. In this, God's saying, listen, he's saying, bother me. Bother me, pester me, all right? Keep knocking on my door. Give me no rest until I answer you. All right, so this is once again the same. Not only has he ordained that we should ask him, but he delights in the asking. At first, I just appreciate him saying prayer's hard. Prayer is difficult, but work to labor. We're to pray without ceasing. Keep going. Be devoted to prayer. Here's the issue, friends. If you're going to wait until you have all the answers, exactly the mechanisms to how prayer works, you will never pray. Prayer is hard. Prayer requires work and faith and um, perseverance. He says, be devoted to prayer. Pray in the spirit on all occasions. Persevere in prayer. And I wonder if we do that. I wonder if we are people uh, who persevere in prayer. It's an invitation. 
It's an invitation in the throne room of God in which he invites us, his children, to lay our requests before him. He invites us, his children, with, to bring our, our, our prayers and petitions. The curtain has been torn in two, and he says, come, come and pray. And then I love, I've never heard this out of Isaiah, what that Chandler talks about here. Where he says he delights so much that he has appointed people to bother him. What a cool image. God loves being bothered by his children to the point that he says, give me no rest. Don't stop asking. He's a good father. He wants us to come to him. It doesn't mean we get everything we ask for. It doesn't mean life is going to just go exactly as we want it to all the time. But friends, the God of the universe invites you, he invites me to come to him with prayers and petitions, to make our requests of God. What an unbelievable invitation. Is it an invitation that you and I are accepting? Is it an invitation that we're taking advantage of? When we read that our Heavenly Father says, don't stop asking, bang on the door, give me no rest. Is that something that we do? I've been challenged here uh, to ask, to seek, to find. The door will be open. All of these things, ask, seek, find. Sometimes I don't pray, friends. I think we think we have everything wrapped up in our own lives that we can figure it out or we don't know how prayer works so we don't do it or whatever else it might be. And when you sit back and think about it, when we do that, we are ignoring the invitation of the God of the universe when he says, come to me. When he says, I invite you, keep knocking, give me no rest. What an unbelievable invitation from our God, the God of the universe, where he says, come on, come on, keep going. Friends, what have you stopped praying about? Have you stopped praying? Let me leave you with this. May we be men and women of prayer. The throne room of God is open and he says, come. He says, enter. And like a father listens to his children, he says, what, do you, what are you asking for? May we never lose sight of the importance of prayer. But unfortunately, I think we often do. Well, thanks for bearing with me today as, uh, you know, a little COVID today. Never stopped the show from happening. Glad that you're able to join us. Join me again tomorrow as I'm joined by my friend Steve Coble from Renewal Church of Chicago. Steve and I will be together Tuesday Wednesday, Thursday. Until then, have yourself a great night. My name is Brian Fromm, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.